I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, darlings all, and welcome to this Monkey Kingdom, an ACAST production of Tom Reed Wilson Has Words With. My guest today could not be more apropos to round off series three of Words With, since she's the wizard of words, the empress of etymology, Susie Dent. Etymology, incidentally, is the study of the origin of words, not to be confused with entomology, the study of insects from entomos, the Greek for cut in pieces, as many insects' exteriors appear to have been. Indeed, insects is in sections too. Anyhow, I've been busy authoring some rhyming couplets to honour our lexical legend this week. Here they come. For nigh on three decades she's been on TV, Rula Lenska, the first one to flank her. And for her fingering her OED, we must repeatedly thank her. The first words she uttered were, I'll do my best, and she to that promise was true. For now, erstwhile taciturn souls are obsessed with all of this word ballyhoo. Under the radar, she says she prefers, so what incomparable luck. But nevertheless, for the word connoisseur, she says, roll em, who gives a fig? A linguistic magpie, a great logophile, is how she describes her condition. And so I'm bowled over that she'll stay a while for this marked podcast edition. In fact, for a podcast on words, you could say she is a guest heaven sent. To close series three in the most special way, it's dear, wondrous Susie Dent. Oh, that was amazing. Hello, Tom. Thank you. You even got <laughs> ballyhoo in there. One of my favourite words. Oh, I love it too. I always think of the hip hooray and ballyhoo, the lullaby of Broadway. It's brilliant. And you just said that I, um, I'm always fingering the OED. I'm not sure about that verb. But I have just <laughs> opened, I've just opened Ballyhoo now in the OED because I have it online all the time. And it was at a carnival, a showman's touting speech um, or a performance advertising a show. Oh, I say. Well, how fitting it was. It was so popularised by that Broadway tune then. Exactly. So I guess it was, yeah, it was originally US and um, and it stayed there. So then it became bombastic nonsense, extravagant or brash publicity or a noisy fuss. It's a brilliant Oh, gorgeous. Well, 
This is why you're here, Susie, because you are my lexical hero. And usually on this show, we talk about words sort of through the prism of the biography of the guest. Yeah. But because with you, it's such a rich tapestry, I thought instead we'd orbit your fabulous, fabulous new book that I've taken to bed every night, Word Perfect. So the first category from that book is our listeners' favorite word group, the portmanteau. Yes. Now, could you tell me first about the connection between portmanteau words and that most elegant old trapping case? Yes. Uh, so it was Lewis Carroll who came up with this idea that words can fold together a little bit like the two sides, as you say, of a traveling suitcase, a portmanteau. And Carol was just brilliant at them. So he gave us um, chortle. That was on my list. It's just brilliant. So chuckle and snort. Um, he gave us galumph. I mean, to, I think galumph to me sounds like the sort of thing I would do in the morning to the kettle. I would galump. I would walk very slowly. Or another word for it is trampoosing, kind of trudging to the to the kettle. But he used it for galloping triumphantly. Oh, I love that. Apropos chortling, Aisha knows one of her most difficult jobs is trimming my chortles out of this because I'm I'm a heavy snorter when I chuckle. <laughs> oh well, there you go. It's just such a good word, and um, yeah, and he came up with it. And then we keep inventing new ones, um, and some of them go in the dictionary. Not all of them do, but things like um, hangry famously has gone. Oh. In. Yes, yes. I really suffer from, if I've not eaten, I do get a little bit bad-tempered. I don't know if I eat <laughs> Yes, me too. One of the new ones that I adore that's in your book, in fact, there are two in your book, at least two, but testiculate I adore. Yes. It was Rick Wakeman, um, the brilliant Rick Wakeman, who actually introduced me to this one. And I don't know if he coined it or whether he picked it up, but um, Rick is just the most amazing raconteur. And uh, he told me about testiculating, which is basically gesticulating or waving your hands in the air whilst talking bollocks. <laughs> Quite a lot of that recently, hasn't there? I would say so. Brought on by, and here's another one, the Corona Coaster. Yes, the Corona Coaster. So that was one of the few kind of lighthearted words that appeared last year um it was a weird time wasn't it because suddenly we all had to be really conversant in our numbers and you know quite yeah. a lot of epidemiological um vocabulary it was very strange um and there was a corona coaster there was the clap hazard which i quite like and a clap hazard was somebody who stood far too close to you whilst clapping the nhs um <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a quite good one um, and then there was a COVID year. I think COVID year actually went into the dictionary. Um, so that one was used a lot and still is, I think. And and so they sort of do that through sort of um, amassing the number of usages through texts and emails and all kinds of things. Yes. So they have these things which uh, they just go by really off-putting word, which is corpora. So that's the plural of corpus, a corpus being a body. And yeah. what dictionary makers use are these bodies, these databases of current language. So they will look to see how often a word is used, in what context it's used, what the register is, you know, whether it's um, derogatory or whether it's um, uh, polite or whatever. They will use that. They will look at collocations, which are the words that it's used most often with. Um, and into yeah. these databases are fed, you know, everything from scholarly journals to tabloid newspapers to transcripts of 
um, conversations on the street. I mean, they're the most incredibly exciting things, and which is why wow. I sort of I hate the fact that in lexicography, and that's a mouthful and a half itself, how quite a lot of our terminology is actually really off-putting. Well, actually, they're just so amazing. Yes, yes. Well, I love the two that I put in the poem that you open your book with, the um, linguistic magpie and the logophile, because they are so sort of all-embracing. Yeah, definitely the magpie. I think the magpie gets a really hard rap. And I was uh, one of those people who used to salute and wave and say, hello, Mr. Magpie, how are you? How's your family? Yes, me too. I just thought, right, this is enough. This is ridiculous. It's when I had my daughter, I think. And I just thought, what example am I setting her by doing these mad things in the car? Uh, so, uh, so I stopped. And now I just think they're the most beautiful, beautiful creatures. And I'm not sure. I think maybe science has proved that they don't actually go around picking up as many shiny trinkets as we think they do. But I just love the idea and the metaphor of just swooping on a word that takes your fancy and kind of squirreling it. So I'm using a mixed metaphor here, but kind of hiding it away and then going back to sort of savour it and, and pick it over. I love that idea. Well, I've been a veritable magpie in the sex and the body words in Word Perfect. Okay, I wonder where you're going now. <laughs> because I'm afraid that my grey sails are a bit smutty. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, arse ropes. Arse ropes are just brilliant. So, the history of kind of taboo words is just so fascinating. And um, swearing or so-called bad language, strong language, has um, become a real subject of both medical research, but also um, academic research. And um, so there's just been so much kind of detective work going, gone into our shifting squeamishness over the centuries. And in um, kind of, I'm just going to look to see exactly when the first record of arse ropes was. But this was a time when the C word, for example, would be, which is the biggest offender of the lot, let's face it, for us at the moment. Yeah. That would be yeah. freely used in anatomy manuals as just sort of a direct gynecological reference point. And yeah, so arthropes, yeah. arthropes actually is first mentioned in um, the translation of the Bible in 1382. And it talks about arthropes that came out of him stinking. Um, and it actually, arthropes, which is simply another word for the um, intestines. So if you have a grumbling in your arse ropes, um, you, know, you just you're feeling a little bit bilious. But I just, I just love it. I just think it's such a brilliant expression. Well, you know, it it makes me think of the rectum too, because rectum is a contraction of rectum intestinus. Yeah, just the straight bit. And and it's funny how the arse was all kind of linked to the guts, and now we think of them as two kind of isolated pieces of the body. Well, and also there's the there's the kind of um. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know how far we want to go with this, but the sphincter is related to the sphinx because the sphinx was famously the strangler and it's all about a contracting muscle, something that really binds tightly. Oh, I um, see. So that's got an etymology and a half as well. Oh, and then the other side of the guts, there was a word I adored in Word Perfect, which I think was just mentioned incidentally, but I loved it. Um, ventripotent. Oh, yes. Um, yes, that just means you're big bellied. <laughs> <laughs> so I can just imagine, you know, kind of patting your tummy and just saying, yes, I'm I'm, a, I'm not sure if it's ventripotent or ventripotent. I think ventripotent is a bit more um, transparent. But yeah, it just means powerfully bellied. So it's oh, turning God. a sort of possible um, 
unsightliness into something to be proud of. Because I love ventriloquism because of the notion of a kind of a, like a big bagpipe and bypassing the voice box to create that illusion. I love that. Yeah, and that was because people were thought to be possessed by God. So they were thought to be possessed by demons, really. Um, and so a ventriloquist was originally seen to be somebody who was quite deranged and who, because of these demons inside them, uh, spoke from the stomach and it was the demon who was speaking for them. Oh, oh, I say. <laughs> oh, I love that. I did promise a bit of sex. My favourite word in the whole book needs a renaissance i think furky toodling i need i need like that one song um <laughs> yes it's just brilliant isn't it so um it's kind of variously described in uh, different dictionaries as either foreplay um or heavy petting or just a bit of kind of kissing and caressing so you can you can you know interpret it as you like but a bit of furky toodling and i think it was a slightly jokey victorian euphemism well, I love it because I think it's much more apropos for my version of foreplay, which is not as elegant as foreplay. It's a bit fumbly. Still still very fun, but fumbly. It sounds more fumbly, doesn't it, furky toodling? Furky toodling. It's the toodle bit kind of, you know, it's the playful element. I think the furky sounds a bit fucky, doesn't it? Um, but, <laughs> so I think it's a sort of a bit of a seesaw. It takes you to both, both extremes. But it's such a brilliant word. I love it. And once you've done quite a lot of furky toodling, you might join giblets. Yes, getting married. What a strange thing to join giblets. Um, <laughs> and I, I still don't quite understand why it was expressed in that way. But if you look at the lexicon of marriage, it's a little bit um, cynical. It's a little bit disappointing. And quite misogynistic, isn't it? Definitely. Um, there's the whole idea of kind of being bonded or bound in some way. So you've got getting hitched and tying the knot. Um, yeah. And it can be, it can, some, some of that can be interpreted in a nice way that sort of ribbons will be bound around the wrists of the of the couple to signify a kind of union. But equally, you've got wedlock, which sounds quite kind of brutal. Yes, yes. Honeymoon sounds really beautiful, like the sweetness of a honeymoon. But actually, it seems to have been coined to suggest the waning of the moon so that it's uh, it's a lovely period, but that it will ultimately oh, fade away. gosh. And the one I hate, um, apropos misogyny, is matrimony, because it's just sort of a, a bypass to, to uh, motherhood. That is true. Yeah, that is true. Um, it's got matri, as you say. I mean, that that it's funny. The mother idea informs so many English words, and some of them are gorgeous, like matrix. Um, so it's it's sort of you know, behind there. But um, yes, you're right. Um, matrimony is, yeah, I mean, in some ways it kind of gives gives you a lot of ammunition for mother-in-law jokes, I suppose. But um, yeah. yeah, you're right. It is it is quite misogynistic. I mean, gosh, the whole of English is quite misogynistic. Let's, let's face it, particularly slang. Um, you yeah. know, women are either sort of um, whores, blousabellas, as um, Francis do you know about Francis Gross? No. Okay, we have to have a chat about Francis Gross at some point because at the same time that Samuel Johnson was writing his amazing dictionary that was based on the evidence of the classical authors, um, so the, the literary greats were the evidence that he took for his dictionary. Around the same time as he was collecting all of that, working extremely hard, as we know, yes. a man called Francis Gross was actually going around um, the brothels, 
the taverns, linking up with highwaymen, sex workers, those who were kind of the cut purses, the criminals. And he was collecting their mm. language. And he published something called A Classical Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue. And it's absolutely fascinating. But you do see through that, through that sort of filter, you see exactly how women were viewed in those days, which was, you know, not, not particularly pretty. Oh, my. Now, you're going to have to bear with me for the next group. Okay. Because I'm going to whip out a very bad Texan accent. Because the next group is contractions. So I'm going to start with howdy. Oh, excellent. Howdy. <laughs> That's a shortening of how do you do? Oh. It's, it's quite interesting. The words that we still see, I think, as kind of defining, you know, the 70s, the 80s or whatever, actually go back a very long way. So watcher. I'm not sure if you'd hear watcher these days. My dad says that. He says watch a cock. There you go, watch a cock. Watch a cock. If you had to date that, well, you'd say it was what, 60s, 70s? Yes, I think I probably would guess that. Yeah. Well, actually, it starts off as a kind of 16th, 17th century greeting, which is what cheer. And what cheer was a way of asking you, how are you? And your cheer was, um, was a substitute for your face. So it goes back to the Greek for cheeks. And it was, how is your countenance? How is your disposition? That was the idea. So what cheer was, how are you? And then that gradually morphed to watcher. Oh, I see. Goodbye, which I'm sure you were going to come to yes. as well. Goodbye is, um, God be with you, really. I love that. And, and the final one on my contraction list is, I think, just a theorised contraction, but I've included it because I so adore the word. Gossamer. <gasps> Gossamer is beautiful. It was funny. We had Julian Clary in Dictionary Corner the other day. Um, on Countdown oh. and he was superb and Gossamer came up as a potential word and it was the very first word actually that that we got in the first round of the first game that he was presiding over and I said oh yes Gossamer is that beautiful filmy like substance spun by cobwebs in the autumn months and he said oh thanks for explaining it as they were all stupid so he had a go at me right <laughs> from the start in a jokey way oh, um, but I love the word gossamer and it's probably a contraction of goose summer because it begins to appear in early autumn when um, the geese were eaten traditionally. I think that is just charming. I mean, less charming for the geese, but, but divine. Yes, very true. Now, the next category is jobs and curiously, I've picked two jobs that are sort of obsolete. This one I couldn't resist. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flatulist. <laughs> Flatulist. Yes. So um, this is somebody who um, is just a professional windbreaker, I guess. Um, and uh, there was Le Petemain was the name of this particular French um, performer who was able to do the most amuse amazing kind of musical repertoires through his sphincter. We talked about the sphincter. I, I think it was because he was able, apparently, if you want the grisly details he was able apparently to draw up a lot of air through his sphincter and then gradually release it to, that was how he did it apparently was this sort of like a musical act or almost yeah so it was i mean crowds absolutely loved it apparently gosh i mean can you imagine it on britain's got talent they would adore it just be horrible for the next performer but... uh, yes pretty horrible <laughs> i think the reason i mentioned it in the book is because breaking wind um is windy pops whatever you want to call them actually lie behind or or drift behind quite a few words in english like feisty um because yeah. feisty referred to sounds very rude but it was a fisting dog was the idea and it was a little dog that was kept as a kind of overindulged pet apparently um, I did and nothing to do with the fist, as far as I can work out, and everything to do with the fact that it was quite windy. I love that, Susie. Do you know the My Fair Lady story about about Rex Harrison's wind? No. Oh well, apparently he was prone to machine gun volleys of farts, and there was a bit towards the end of the musical when he was on stage with with Dame Jules, and he let several fly. The next line was Mrs. Higgins saying. Oh, Henry, dear, please don't grind your teeth. <laughs> and then she said all of her subsequent lines took on a double meaning. She had to say, no, my reverberating friend. <laughs> and so you are a motor bus, all bounce and go. <laughs> and she said it was an absolute nightmare and it added 20 minutes to the end of the show. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that story. I think it's it's brilliant. Fizzle is another great one because kids love this one. To fizzle is to break wind quietly. Oh, that is perfect. Yes, to fizzle out. Swiftly moving on to some unlikely siblings. So what do G-string knickers have to do with a Stradivarius? I know, I find this very odd. I think it was just... The idea, again, I don't think this has been proven definitively, and that's what I love about etymology, the study of word origins, yeah. because the work is ongoing. You know, people look at the OED and think, oh, it's a historical dictionary. But no, they've got a wonderful team who are actively working on updating it all the time and adding new things. They just had a release today, actually, a new release. Um, but <clears throat> one theory about the G-string is that um, it was so thin, it was as thin, the, the back of it, it, it's as thin as uh, the G-string on a violin. Um, and you've made me think about um, thongs there as well, and underwear, um, because uh, there's a lovely mishearing or slip of the ear um, that I've always quite liked. If you look at Oxford's databases, the ones I, I talked about, um, you can see how people get things 
wrong so famously to all intensive purposes or we are now trending towards yes. things or like a bowl in a china shop or um <laughs> or two blokes in a supermarket for me five years ago said tonight lads we're, like, we're going to drink to bolivia instead of to uh, oblivion which I love. um anyway oh, oh. another one is going at it hammer and thongs rather than hammer and tongs <laughs> Well, I think that's almost better. I agree. So much of them almost better. So many of them, like, you know, that's the whole crotch of the matter and that kind of thing. It, it makes me think of a sort of a grand piano with an open lid with the sort of, with the hammers hitting the thongs. <laughs> but there are so many of those. They're called um, egg corns, as you probably know, which comes from yeah. mishearing of acorns. Or malapropisms. Yeah, and sometimes they are absolutely malapropisms. There's, and there's also malafor, which is... A, quite a new kid on the block and a malafor is a blend of um uh yes malapropism and metaphor and that's when you say things like i'll burn that bridge when i get to it um or it's not uh, it's not rocket surgery <laughs> so okay you can say you, oh, I love it. they really seduce the brain those i mean you have to kind of think is that not is that not right oh no it's not right one more unlikely sibling um Champagne and mushrooms. Yes, champagne and champignons. It's quite a large family, the Champagne region in France, because it goes back to um, to ancient Greece and the Campus Martius and um, other places where they would be military training grounds. So Campus meant open fields. Um, and the idea is that this is where the Roman soldiers, oh, it's probably Rome actually, sorry, not Greece. Um, the Roman soldiers would go there and train in the summer months. And um, because the Champagne region in France, this region was full of rolling open land, rolling hills, open yes. land, that was called Champagne, which is related. A champion, going back to the Roman army, who's somebody who succeeded in battle, that's related as well. Um, university campus and then champignon which also are mushrooms which grow on open land so it's, it's quite a big big family oh it's just heavenly isn't it you never know when it's going to take a left turn it's just incredible my favorite pair of siblings well i've got so many but the unlikely ones is mouse and muscle do you know this one no i think in the roman imagination i i don't know what they were eating or drinking but or smoking but um they thought that <laughs> when an athlete flexed their biceps it looked like a little mouse yes. kind of scuttling under the skin moving about and uh, muscle goes back to the latin musculus meaning little mouse oh god isn't that fascinating i love that one and actually, you can see all, especially in those very developed muscles, all this kind of strange, sinewy movement. Yeah. Hence, rippling muscles. I discovered the other day, which I had never even contemplated. Do you know what butch is short for? We talked about contractions. No, no. So butch is short for butcher's knife. Um, and the idea was of being kind of, um, if you were carrying, if you were, it, a butcher's knife was kind of seen as something that was, um, uh, aggressive and strong and very kind of masculine it was a very sort of or it, it was a bit like a hunter's knife so the idea was that you would be very strong um and then it got transferred to kind of masculine attributes yeah strange gosh that is fascinating my final group here is uh one of my favorite word groups the eponym and I've chosen the first one because one of the much maligned groups historically 
is left-handed people. I picked Corey Fistin. So left-handedness historically has long been viewed as, um, as you say, as kind of, well, sinister, famously is the Latin for left-handed. Um, awkward comes from an old Norse or Viking word for um, the wrong way round, which was seen as being left-handed. Um, getting out on the wrong side of the bed was seen as getting out on the left-hand side. Um, and then you've got cack handed, cack being left as well. I mean, so many. Yeah. And, and dexterous just means right handedness, doesn't it? Exactly. So dexterity is all because, yeah. So the right handed people have got lots of positive adjectives um, named after them. As you say, dexterous comes from dexter, the Latin for, um, for right. So, um, and it turns out in Scotland that there are equally, particularly in certain areas, there are lots and lots of adjectives for being left handed. And um, Corrie Fisted is said to go back to Fernyhurst Castle in Scotland, which was built by a left-handed laird. And he built his spiral staircases to favour left-handed soldiers so that if they were fighting, they would be able to wield their sword on the right-hand side. And so Corrie Fisted oh. is said to go back to Mr. Kerr, Kerr. Ah, who maybe, maybe was the great, great, great grandfather of Deborah Carr. Well, maybe Carr, if that's the way, you're right. It was Carr for her, wasn't it? I'm not, I'm not sure how to pronounce Kerr. Apologies to Scots everywhere. Well, maybe she anglicised it. I, I'm not sure. Oh. This next one is for Hitchcock fans. MacGuffin. Yes. So have you, do you hear this in kind of, you know, in TV terms, because I've never heard anyone in TV talk about MacGuffin, but apparently it's quite no. famous within film. No, I've never heard of it before. It's it's a kind of classic, I don't know where you stand on Hitchcock, because I obviously you read quite a lot about him being very misogynistic and, and yes. perhaps a not very nice um, individual. But um, yes, so the MacGuffin is supposed to be um an element on which the plot of a film particularly hinges i think yeah so i think the plot is driven by this particular element but it actually doesn't mean anything to the audience so it kind of comes in out of the blue so for example in psycho for example yeah um, yeah so psycho absolutely brilliant um they the there is a sum of forty thousand dollars who is uh stolen um, by the main character, Marion Crane. And it becomes the motivation for her every action. But actually, it's never really kind of explained or it just kind of, it, it never really goes anywhere. And Hitchcock liked to turn ah. them, I'm reading here from the book, um, Hitchcock liked to turn them pl uh, these plot-driving elements as MacGuffin. And when asked to explain it, he this is what he said, which is so confusing and very Hitchcockian. It might be a Scottish name taken from a story about two men on the train. One man says, well, what is a MacGuffin? You say it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. Man says, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. Then you say, then that's no MacGuffin. Oh, that. Well, the, the last eponym um, is because of my love of musicals. And it comes from a musical called A V.I. Sing by the Gershwin brothers. And nobody knows that musical, but everybody knows I've got rhythm, I've got music, which is actually from it. And this name, 
throttle bottom. Throttle bottom. I know. And I use this word so much. And well, Mr. Throttle bottom is apparently a sort of slightly bumbling and inept person in public office. Um, and I chose it because it perfectly describes to me um, someone not too far away from the political landscape at the moment who <laughs> is, um, yes, who, who just actually holds quite powers, quite a lot of power. So I'm not sure if it works perfectly, but the sort of bumblingness of it, I think, is really appealing. And you can just hear that subtle bottom is just such a clever name. Oh, I adore it. And I adore you, Susie. Oh, and, and we could talk for hours. I loved it. I loved it. And I'm forever hanging on your lips and learning and loving it. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, well, let's just do more stuff. Um, I would love that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, keep teaching us with the words of the day as well. And I will learn stuff from you as well. Oh, well, I've loved it. And bonjour, nay, and lots and lots of love. Take care. And um, yeah, God be with you. <laughs> Our bonus word today is ketchup. Susie says she distinctly remembers being fascinated by words from as soon as she could read the back of the ketchup bottle with its many divergent tongues. Ketchup comes from the Chinese word ketchup, the name of the sauce derived from fermented fish. It's believed that traders brought the fish sauce from Vietnam to southeastern China. Well, that brings us to the end of a magical series. If you've just arrived, then do listen to our other wordy contributors, David Walliams, Dawn French, Michelle Visage, and many, many more. This has been a Monkey Kingdom, an Acast production. Until next time, oodles of love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.